Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to be in Genesis 1, Matthew 19, and 1 Corinthians 6 as just sort of springboard to springboard us into uh, this sermon today. Sometimes people are helped by flipping and looking, but sometimes you can just listen. It may be helpful for you to just listen to Genesis 1 or go, go to your Bible in Genesis 1 and, and watch and read that with me and then just listen to Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 6. But if you're, if you're good at it and getting there quick, sword drills and you can turn and get there. Genesis 1, 27, Matthew 19, 3 through 9 and 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Matthew 19, 3 through 9. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Father, we praise You that that is the case. For such were some of us. But we praise You, God, that we have been washed. That we've been sanctified. That we've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of You, our God. Father, we look at the world around us and there are many reasons to lament. For tears to fall from our eyes because people do not keep your law. Father, we look at our own lives and hearts and know that we too are sinners. And Father, we need you. We pray that you would help us as we think about uh, uh, sexual perversion in our world, in our lives. We pray, Lord God, that we would love the truth and the truth would set us free. That we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. We Pray, Lord God, You would be with those uh, that may be among us that struggle with these sins. And we pray that You would help us all find freedom in Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, come and apply Your Word to us and have Your way with us. For Jesus' sake, Amen. As I already mentioned at the beginning of the service, we went through this book uh, on our Wednesday nights, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage by Denny Burke, David Clawson, and Colin 
Smothers, and I knew when we finished that study, I wanted to do a summary sermon, so this is that sermon, and uh, we're studying this because if you watch the news, or you see things going on in our culture, I mean, you, you can't get away from uh, what's happening around us, and um, uh, we, we need to know what the Bible says about this, uh, and we need to know how to respond in love and humility and truth. We need to know how to point people to Jesus uh, we need to know and be reminded of how to be faithful in uh, the Corinthian-like culture that we, we live in. And my, my main point for, for this sermon is this, that I'm going to be repeating throughout, all people are made in God's image. Amen. Marriage is only between one man and one woman. Homosexuality and transgenderism are sinful. We're all sinners, and we should love sinners, and Jesus came to save sinners. So point number one, which actually the points I'm taking for the sermon are the chapters of this book. Point number one, creation's warrant, which means our authorization or authority to speak on these matters comes from God and His Word. That's our warrant. That's our authorization. That, that's uh, uh, the basis on which we speak into the culture, into our own lives, and, and to our life as a church is the Word of God. And we see in the Word of God that God created us male and female. And there are no other genders. That, that's something we, we need to know and be reminded of and hear and see in the Word of God as, as uh, many spend much more time in front of the TV than in the Word of God. We need to be reminded that God created us male and female and there are no other genders. Genesis 1.27, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Male and female. God created marriage. And He created it to be between one man and one woman. We see this from the Word of God that we read from Jesus' lips in Matthew 19. 3 through 9, which I will read again. If you want to turn there now, you might want to turn there in Matthew 19, 3 through 9. This is our king, our commander in chief. This is where we take our marching orders from. And the Pharisees came to him and testing, tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So Jesus here quotes Moses, quotes God, <laughs> and, and affirms what we just read in Genesis 1.27. Jesus says that God made them male and female. And he quotes Moses again. It's God again. He is God speaking. <laughs> Jesus is God. Therefore, a man, a man, shall leave his father and mother. We're seeing the two genders here and how Jesus is speaking. Uh, there's a man who's going to become one flesh with his wife. Man and wife, man and woman, two genders. He's going to leave his father, mother, two genders, and marriage is between a man and a woman, and he leaves father and mother, marriage is between a man and a woman, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This is God's Word. 
This is where we take our uh, credenda and agenda from. If you were in Sunday school, you know what that means. Our belief and our practice. We take it from God's Word. That, that's our warrant. Our authority is God and His Word. The book says human sexuality and marriage are uh, all original and natural to God's creation in the beginning. Therefore, the constant attack on sexuality and marriage that we are witnessing today is an attack on God's plan and will, uh, God's plans, attack on God's will and plan for humanity. Moreover, God created us male and female to bear His image apart from all creation. The attempt to redefine sexuality and marriage proceeds on the family assumption, uh, the faulty assumption, excuse me, proceeds on the faulty assumption that God is not deeply invested in these elements that are uh, native to the created order. To attack these is to attack the very fabric of the natural order of creation. The enemy wants nothing more than to still kill and destroy. And what better target is there than the very institution of marriage and family, the incubator of humanity and God's image bearers and structural support of this institution in sexuality? What is more, where marriage is at stake, the gospel is at stake because God chose marriage to be the picture that would communicate Christ's love for His church, Ephesians 5, 31-32. We shouldn't be surprised when those who are opposed to God are opposed to God's prized institutions. And so the world, the flesh, and the devil attack God's plan for marriage, God's plan for sex, and in so doing, they attack the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we see from these verses that all people are made in God's image, that marriage is only between one man and one woman, that homosexuality and transgenderism are sinful. We're all sinners. We should love sinners. And praise God, Jesus came to save sinners. Point number two, creation's order. Look at Ephesians 5 with me. Ephesians chapter 5. A brother helped me uh, distinguish those first epistles of uh, Paul by go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn if you get confused there. Galatians is first and then Ephesians. And we want to turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Creation's order. Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
Here we see God's order. God's order in the relationship of marriage. He calls wives to submit to their husbands in everything. He calls husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. He calls the husbands to sanctify her through the washing of the Word. Husbands, are you doing that? Are you meeting with your wives and teaching the Word of God to them? Well, you have a devotional now. Be a man and read it with her. And notice this picture is of Christ in the church. This is a picture of Christ and the church. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. You, you married couples, you show forth the gospel to the world when you are faithfully married to one another and love one another. It's about Christ and the church. What are God's purposes for marriage? Well, procreation. Be fruitful and multiply. Heidi and Isaac are obeying that. Right? Be fruitful and multiply. One of the purposes of marriage is procreation. Another purpose for marriage is help. We need help. We, we need help making it to heaven. We need encouragement. Husbands and wives, do you realize God has called you to help one another make it to heaven? <laughs> to help one another avoid hell. To help one another keep believing, keep trusting, keep fighting the good fight of faith. To encourage one another daily with the Word of God to pray for one another. You need help. You need to help each other. Make it to heaven. Another purpose is friendship. Friendship. You spend time together. You enjoy spending time together. You build one another up. You point to one another's sins in love and help one another grow. Friends. You enjoy each other's company. Another purpose is purity. Purity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, it's better to marry than to burn. One of the purposes of marriage is purity. And of course, the main purpose is Christ in the church. To show forth Christ in the church, which we've already talked on, and to glorify God. This is God's purpose for marriage. And, and marriage is the only place the only place that procreation is to take place. It's the only place that, 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 that uh, 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 we can go uh, 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 for, for purity in that sense of being with one another and becoming one flesh. God forbids fornication. Sex is for marriage. And marriage is between one man and one woman. One pastor calls same-sex mirage. Because it's a mirage. It's not marriage. You shouldn't use the term same-sex marriage. It doesn't exist. Same-sex mirage. It's a mirage. God created marriage. And God says it's between a man and a woman. We don't toy with that. And so all people are made in God's image. Marriage is only between one man and one woman. Homosexuality and transgenderism are sinful. We're all sinners. And we should love sinners. And Jesus came to save sinners. Point number three, sins disorder. Homosexual, lesbian relationships and acts are sinful and unnatural. 
That needs to be said today. That needs to be said in the church today. That needs to be said in your families today. Homosexual, lesbian relationships and acts are sinful and unnatural. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, again, Paul lists, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, these sins that if you practice, you will go to hell. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. So right there, you're going to cover all those sins. Covered in the law of God. Fornication, sex outside of marriage is sexual morality. Homosexual sex, lesbian sex is sexual morality. Uh, adultery, cheating on your spouse is sexual morality. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the uh, idolaters, nor adulterers gets uh, a specific, nor men who practice homosexuality. Right there it is. Nor thieves, nor the greedy. We don't like to talk about that much. <laughs> what greed is. Mm. Nor drunkards, which would include cocaine use Amen. and marijuana use. Amen. Nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But beloved, when you're talking to your friends about these matters, don't leave out verse 11. I mean, we need to get verses 9 through 10 right, and people need to understand that. They need to feel the weight of the law. They need to know that God means serious business here. But we have hope for this world. Like, we, we have hope to give this world. And, and verse 11, if, if you're here this morning and you struggle with these sins, maybe you're visiting this morning and you are a homosexual or a lesbian. Maybe you're here this morning and you're transgender. There's, there's hope for you. There's hope. But, but you, you have to realize you've got you to gotta get the diagnosis right. To, to get the, 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 the what, what's the other thing called? The antidote. The, the, the treatment right. You've you got to diagnose the disease correctly to get the right uh, medicine. Yeah. And so some people don't like the first part. They, they, they're timid. Oh, just talk about love, 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 love. Don't talk about sin. Everybody knows they're a sinner. No, they don't. They don't. You're wrong. <laughs> they don't know they're sinners. We, we have to tell them. We have to warn them that there's hell to pay for sin. Right? We've got to be clear about that. That's what Jesus did. That's what God does. That's what Paul does. And, and so he does that. But, but, but then there's hope. If you, you get that right, you show them they're sinners. You show them their sin. You show them what God says. And you warn them of hell. Then you, you bring the gospel to bear. There's hope. We do both. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Law and gospel. And what does verse 11 say? And such were some of you, Corinthians. You, you were homosexuals. You were adulterers. You were idolaters. You were men who practiced homosexuality. Such were some of you. You were that. Past tense. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so we have hope that there's a Savior who died for sinners. Sinners. 
who died for people who repent of their sin and trust in Christ. So friend, if you're here this morning, you're you're not a believer. We we have hope for you that you can be forgiven. You can be changed. You can be uh, saved from your sins. Jesus Christ, the God-man, He came and He lived a perfect life. He never sinned in thought, word, or deed. He never had one lustful thought. He, he never looked at a woman as, as a, 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 an object of consumption for his own selfish lusts. He never did that. He, he didn't treat women like a piece of meat. He never did that in his mind. He never did that with his words. He, he never did that in his actions. He, he was pure and holy. He never sinned in thought, word, deed, or feeling. He always had, he's always had, always had perfect feelings. Feelings can be righteous or sinful. He always had perfect feelings. He never was anxious in a sinful way. He never worried. He never fretted. He never complained. He was perfect. In all of his emotional life and all of his sexual life and all of his, his personal and, and lived out life and words, everything he did was right. And then he took our sin upon himself. He took all of our sins, all the sins of all the elect, all the sexual sins of all the elect, He took upon Himself on the cross and bore God's wrath and died for sinners and was buried and then rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell. And He ascended into heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords and reigns forevermore so that if anyone who turns from their sins and believes in Him, you'll be forgiven. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news. Friend, if you're here this morning you do not believe that news, I beg you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And friend, if you're a Christian here, never tire of hearing that. <laughs> if it's boring. If it's boring to you. Please cry out to God. Lord, please take my breath away that you saved me. Please, God, amaze me again by grace that you didn't cast me to hell ten years ago, but save my soul. Pray for that. Pray that God would never let you tire or cease to be amazed at the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's go tell people if that's a new message for you, you've not heard that or believed that before, please come and find me afterwards. I want to talk to you about that. There are other Christians who want to talk to you. Young people, children, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We want you to know Him. And when you know Him, you turn, right? You turn from these behaviors in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through You turn from these perversions of of, of sexual life in places like Romans 1, 21 through 27. Turn there. Romans 1, 21 through 27. Romans 1, 21 through 27. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Now you need to get that. Man has turned away from God, has worshipped the creature, has committed idolatry, and and therefore, in punishment for that, God gives them up to these perversions. So again, you hear some people say, oh, God is going to judge these homosexual people for what they're doing. Well, Romans 1 says, that is the judgment. Being given over to sexual perversion is the judgment of God. You see that in Romans 1? For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The main reason I'm sharing 1 Corinthians 6 and Romans 1 is to simply show you sin's disorder. That that homosexual and lesbian relationships uh, are sinful and unnatural. They're not only sinful, they're unnatural. Which is worse. It's worse. And you need to see that in the Bible. You need to be convinced of that. You you need to be ready to die for that. You need to be ready to lose your job for it. This is what our God says. And we need to be ready to suffer for holding fast to what God says. And one of the effects of persecution in the church has been to weed out those who mean business with Jesus and those who are just playing church. Right? And so we have to decide. Is this what God says or not? Am I going to follow Jesus or not? Sadly, we have many who call themselves Christians today but argue that the Bible is okay with and supports homosexual sexual immorality. I want to cover three arguments that they use to, to, to this. How, how do Christians, Christians, I'm using quotes on Christians because I would say they're not Christians, but they call themselves Christians. They claim the Bible as their Bible. They claim Jesus as their Savior. They go to church, but they write books that justify homosexual practice as Christian practice and say the Bible's okay with this. What arguments do they use? Well, one... I'm only going to cover three. They, they say Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. You even hear that in the news sometimes. Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. How would you answer that question? Well, um, number one, Jesus, the Son of God and second person of the Trinity, inspired the whole Bible. Right. <laughs> so there's a sense in which Jesus wrote Leviticus. Jesus wrote Romans. Who's the author of Hebrews? Jesus. There you go. Problem solved. 
Jesus is the author of 1 Corinthians. So he did speak directly, clearly, and forcefully about homosexuality. Secondly, Jesus spoke of what marriage should be in places like Matthew 19, which we've read. Jesus clearly defined what marriage is, that it's between a man and a woman leaving his father and mother, right? And becoming one flesh. Third, Jesus forbids all sexual morality in places like Matthew 15, 19 through 20. For out of the heart, Jesus said this, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. So Jesus condemns here evil thoughts. That would include homosexuality. And Jesus condemns sexual morality, which would... Uh, 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 forbid homosexuality. James Edwards' comments on that word in the Greek for sexual morality, porneia, can be found in Greek literature with reference to a variety of illicit sexual practices including adultery, fornication. Fornication is an old word meaning sex outside of the marriage covenant, prostitution, and homosexuality. In the Old Testament, it occurs for any sexual practice outside marriage between a man and a woman that is prohibited by the Torah, the law of God. Kevin DeYoung, and I will highlight this book of his. It's a short little book, but excellent on this issue. What does the Bible really teach about homosexuality? If you have friends, family who are on the fence on this, get, them, get this book. If you are, are on the fence or have questions, get this book. He has a whole section on objections, several chapters on objections, where he goes into a lot more detail than I can in this sermon. Excellent resource. Uh, but he says Jesus didn't have, a, have to give a special sermon on homosexuality because of all his listeners. Uh, uh, they understood that same-sex behavior was prohibited in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and reckoned as one of the many expressions of sexual sin, pornea, off-limits for the Jews. So that's one answer to that objection that Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Yes, he did. Objection number two, when the Bible condemns homosexuality, it's only condemning immoral homosexuality. Not faithful monogamous marriage between men and men and women and women. So th this, this argument is, well, the Bible is just so old and outdated. They didn't have an understanding of the fact that now we have faithful Men and men and women and women that get married each other and stay faithful in marriage. And, and the only thing the Bible forbids is this outside of marriage, uh, uh, perverse, you know, men with younger boys kind of homosexuality. That's what the Bible condemns. But it doesn't condemn faithful Christian men and men who marry each other and stay faithful in a, a marriage. That's, that's the argument. And so they just, anything the Bible says about homosexuality, they just throw away as, well, that's not talking about faithful gay people who are married to each other and stay faithful to each other. That's the argument. How, how would you answer that? <laughs> you, you could just say, read the Bible. Number one, the Bible nowhere teaches that faithful monogamous marriage between men and, men and between women and women exists or is pleasing to God. The Bible nowhere teaches that. They, they just make it up. <laughs> Second, the, the Bible not only condemns bad kinds of homosexual practice, it condemns all homosexual practice as bad. 
Let me say that again. The Bible not only condemns what they're saying is bad. You know, they, they'll point to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, that was, a, that was sort of a, a, a gang of people, you know, R-A-P-I-N-G-ing this one man. And, and so, yes, of course that's bad. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about wholesome relationships. No, the Bible not only condemns bad kinds of homosexual practice, like in Sodom and Gomorrah, it condemns all homosexual practice as bad. Read what Jude says about Sodom and Gomorrah, that they gave themselves to strange flesh and sexual perversion. Or just read the Bible. Leviticus 18.22 is very clear. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And we've seen in Romans 1 what God says. That, that they've given up the natural use of the man and the woman to lust for men and men and women and women. God's Word is clear. Lewis Crompton writes, Nowhere does Paul or any other Jewish writer of this period imply the least acceptance of same-sex relations under any circumstances. The idea that homosexuals might be redeemed by mutual devotion would have been wholly foreign to Paul or any Jew or early Christian. And a third argument that, uh, that people bring up about this is, well, what about all the sin the church doesn't address in the church? So, you know, they'll say things like, you guys always like to talk about homosexuality and transgender. Why do you guys always pick on them? What about all the people getting divorced in your church? What, all the, what about all the people given to gluttony in your church? You never talk about that. That's, that's two of the things that uh, uh, Kevin DeYoung brings up. Well, if we don't talk about those things, we should. <laughs> We're wrong. We do teach that divorce is a sin in this church. We, we heard from Jesus. God hates divorce. God hates divorce. If, if, you're, if you're a believer and you're married, God's will for you is to stay married. Period. And, 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 and the church needs to be faithful to teach that. To discipline people, to remove them from membership as unbelievers if they don't want to walk with Jesus and stay married? We have to do that to be faithful to Jesus. We have to speak about that just as strongly as homosexuality. And all other sins we, we must condemn. Gluttony. Uh, it's true, the church doesn't talk much about gluttony or greed. The Bible calls for us to have self-control. The Bible calls for us to have self-control in all areas of our lives. And we should strive for that. The Bible calls us to forbid and, and preach against and, and call people to repent of all manner of, of sexual sin, of pornography, of lust, of fornication. But that doesn't stop us from also speaking to this matter of homosexuality and transgenderism that is so pushed in the face of the church these days. We need to be equipped to speak the truth in love. 
Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We want to speak the truth in love like Jesus did. Remember the woman at the well? Go call your husband. Go call your husband. Who wants to be like Jesus? I want to be like Jesus. Why did Jesus do that? Go call your husband. Because Jesus knows what love is. And love is just not patting people on the head and saying, you're good, I'm good, we're all good. He drove a dagger into her heart in the very thing she was doing to run from God. Her sexual life. Her sex outside of marriage. Her divorce. Her going from man to man to man to man to man. He, he went right there with a laser. Because He's good. And he's righteous. And He's the most loving man that ever lived. Don't tell me to bring up sin is not loving. Jesus loves more than you do. Jesus loved that woman in the well more than you or I ever could. And Jesus went right there. Go call your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. You're right, you have no husband. You've had six of them. And the one you're with now is not your husband. Did he say six or five? Five. Don't want to misquote scripture. So he, Jesus is right there calling out sin and calling people to repent. That's speaking the truth in love. Jesus said, go and sin no more. <laughs> and so, beloved, all people are made in God's image. Marriage is only between one man and one woman. Homosexuality and transgenderism are sinful. We're all sinners and we should love sinners. And Jesus came to save sinners. Number four, temptation, desire, and orientation. What if you do not commit sexual sins in your actions, but only desire those sins in your heart and mind? Is it sinful to have those desires? That's the question I want to answer. Well, Exodus 20.14 says, You shall not commit adultery. And Exodus 20.17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And so that gets at the heart, right? The, 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 the commandment not to covet, it gets at the heart. That God does look at the heart. You're not to covet. You're, you're not to covet other people's stuff. You're not, you're not to sinfully desire what they have as your own. And, and Jesus makes this clear in Matthew 5, 27-28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus says to look with lust is sinful. That's not looking and saying, oh, she's attractive. She's beautiful. He's handsome. God made us to notice beauty. That's okay. But to look with lust, to undress people in your mind, to fantasize about being with them sexually, that's lust. Jesus forbids that. God forbids doing that. And so God cares about the heart, not just the action. He cares about the heart behind the action. How do you know the difference between a sinful sexual desire and a non-sinful desire? Some have wrongly believed that it has to do with your conscious choice to have the desire. If you choose to have this desire, then it's sinful. 
but desires that you have that are spontaneous and unchosen are not sinful in this view. That's wrong. It doesn't matter whether you chose to do it or not consciously. If you have a sinful desire, it's sinful. Whether it's spontaneous, whether it just comes upon you, it's sinful. Whether you choose to do it or not. Others wrongly believe that it has to do with the intensity of the desire. If you strongly desire something God forbids in this sexual area of life, then it's sinful. But if your desire is weak, then it's not sinful. That's wrong as well. It has nothing to do with the strength of the desire. What does it have to do with? Jesus teaches that it is the object of the desire that determines the moral character of the desire. It's the object of the desire. It has to do with God, what God has forbidden and what He's not forbidden. Yeah. And who does God give you the right to have sexual desires for? Your spouse and your spouse alone. That's it. If the root of sexual sin is in the heart, what does that tell us about repentance? If sexual sin is first of all a matter of the heart, then why does Jesus tell disciples to cut their hands off or gouge their eyes out in order to avoid sexual sin? Remember Jesus says that in the Sermon on the Mount, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out. It's better for you to go to heaven without one hand than go to hell with two. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to go to heaven with only one eye than to go to hell with two. Why does Jesus say that if it's all about the heart? Well, we need training wheels. <laughs> We're that bad. <laughs> Repentance is a change of heart. A turning from sin in heart, mind, will, and desires. Jesus commands the cutting off of the hand and the eye so that we will take extreme measures to help our hearts and minds and wills and desires pursue righteousness. Yeah. We're to take extreme measures. It may mean getting rid of phones. It, it, it may mean bringing the phones to someone who can put a blocker on it. Right? It, 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 it may mean quitting your job because you're married and that secretary won't leave you alone. And so I quit my job because it's better to go to heaven poor and jobless than to go to hell with a job. What about temptation? Does this mean that my experience of sexual temptation is sinful? Well, listen to what the book says. Uh, the book here. Uh, uh, temptation is a trial and an enticement. The trial of temptation consists of some hardship, suffering, or deprivation. The enticement of temptation consists in the allure to relieve that hardship, suffering, or deprivation through sinful means. When the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, both components of temptation were present. So Jesus faced a trial. He fasted 40 days, right? That's hard. He's a man. He's a really a man. He has a stomach. He's hungry. It's hard. There's a temptation because of uh, the, uh, uh, the trial. And then there's an enticement. You can turn these rocks into bread, these stones into bread, and, and feed yourself. Jesus was tempted from without, just like we are in that sense. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted like we are, yet without sin. But beloved, you need to get this. 
Our experience of temptation is different from Jesus' experience of temptation. Also, how is our experience of temptation different from Jesus' experience? Jesus never gave in to temptation. Jesus never sinned. And Jesus was never tempted by sinful desires because He had none. He had no sinful flesh dwelling in Him like we do. Even as believers, we have an old man that tries to rear his ugly head. We have these sinful desires. Galatians talks about how the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh wars against the spirit. We have this war. You, I believe you see it in Romans chapter 7 as well. And we, we have this, this sinful nature that we're still called to put to death the deeds of the body. Put, put it to death. Jesus didn't have any of that. He had no sinful nature. He had no sinful desires. But we do. James 1, 14-15, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That's a sin. That kind of temptation is a sin. So it's not right just to say, oh yeah, temptation is not sin. If you give into it, it's sin. Not, not, not all the time. Sometimes your temptations are sinful. Sometimes you need to repent of your temptations. When that temptation comes from your sinful nature and desires. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The book says this, as the sinless Son of God, Jesus never had a sinful desire. Thus, He was never tempted by His own sinful desire, for He never had such desire for evil. The same is not the case with us. When we are enticed by our own sinful desires to do evil, the temptation itself is sinful. Do you get that? I hadn't really thought very deeply about this. So this might take you all a while. Do you get that? Sometimes your temptations are sinful. And you need to repent of your temptations. Because you shouldn't even thought that. People who are same-sex attracted shouldn't be. Even if they don't act on it. That's a sin to desire it. Lord, forgive me for desiring that which You forbid. That's evil, Lord. How could that thought even enter my mind? Lord, forgive me. Praise God I didn't act on it. But Lord, that desire entered my heart. Forgive me. And change me. Don't take those desires away, Lord. You forbid that. I desire to have sex outside of marriage. Take that away. That's a sin. I desire to divorce my spouse. That's a sin to desire that. Desiring anything that God forbids is a sin. So, the temptation itself is sinful. Is temptation sinful? The book goes on to say, not necessarily, but it can be. Jesus' temptations were wholly external to His nature and desires. Thus, they were not sinful. When we experience temptation from the outside like Jesus did, the temptation involves no sin on our part. But when our temptations emerge from our own sinful nature and desire, the temptation itself is sinful and is an occasion for repentance. And so we need to realize that and we need to repent and ask God for forgiveness when we're tempted by our own sinful flesh. So what about the excuses for sin? I was born that way. Anybody heard that? Well, I was born this way. I'm born that way. Or I'm homosexual because it's my orientation. How do I respond to that? 
I was born this way too. I was born this way too with all my sinful inclinations. With all my sinful orientations. We're all born that way. Sinners. We're all born that way. We're all born sinners. We all have sinful orientations that we must repent of. Adulterous orientations. Sex outside of marriage orientations. Stealing orientations. Lying orientations. Murder orientations. Sinful anger orientations. And God doesn't tell us to find our true self and live in it. Jesus says, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't call us to greater self-esteem. Friend, if you have a child in a public school, you better find out about that self-esteem wickedness and cut it off on the head and make sure your kids are getting the Christ-esteem teaching. Because God does not call your child to have self-esteem. God calls your child to deny his self-esteem and to follow Jesus Christ. To die to self. We have way too much self-esteem in this world. We need to die to it. Deny self and follow Jesus. One question that comes up after having gone through this teaching, should Christians attend same-sex weddings? Should Christians put gay flags on their desk when it's gay pride week at your office? Should Christians wear uh, 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 the gay uh, pride symbols? Uh, for instance, a soccer player uh, who, who, who on the U.S. soccer team, she was told they were going to wear this jersey that, 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 that promoted homosexuality. What, what do Christians do in those situations? They don't do that. But pastor, I might lose my job. Welcome to true Christianity. Like Welcome to first century Christianity. This is so odd to us because we're so removed from that day. We're so comfortable. We've been so at ease for so long in this country where for so long the values of the church have somewhat been shared by the values of the culture and the government. Well, times are changing. Christians don't do that. Christians don't go to same-sex weddings. Going to a wedding is saying, I approve of this. Or you go and... (laughs) You know, some of them still ask the question, if anybody knows why these two people should not be joined, speak now and forever hold your peace. Sister Tanya might go and stand up right in the middle of the wedding and preach a sermon. Most of us aren't her. Yes, I have something, Pastor. Give me a moment. Just sit down, everybody. Just sit down. I have something to say. You you, you either do that or you don't go. They probably wouldn't ask that question at a wedding like that anyway. You don't put a flag on your desk. You, You don't wear and promote rainbows. I mean, it's God's rainbow, but it's come to mean something else. And... And uh, we, we, we lose our job over that kind of thing. We, we, that girl wouldn't wear the flag and she got basically lost every, all credibility she had in the U.S. soccer world. And she didn't care because Jesus is better. <laughs> Jesus is worth it. <laughs> and then we as the church need to take care of people and help people who lose their job and, and care for them. All people are made in God's image. Marriage is only between a man and a woman. 
one man and one woman. Homosexuality and transgenderism are sinful. We're all sinners and we should love sinners. And by the way, this sermon is an attempt to love sinners. (laughs) Boy, the world would not think I'm loving sinners right now. If people in the world heard this, they would say, I'm such a bigot and hateful and wrong. And we have to be willing to be called that and be like Jesus. But we should love sinners, and Jesus came to save sinners. Number five, transgenderism. Transgenderism. Uh, Deuteronomy 22.5, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Many of you know what transgender is. It, we, we see it in our society today where people who are born, obviously and clearly born men, are now saying they're women and dressing like women. And people who are born uh, women are, are, are dressing like men and saying that they're men. They're wanting to go use women's bathrooms. Men are wanting to dominate women's sports. And all these things are happening in our culture. We, we just need to know from God's Word that that is all sinful and wrong. What, what makes male and female different? It's, it, 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 I've got three little ways to think about it. Biology, bodies, and Bible. Biology, bodies, and Bible make this very clear. Number one, biology. Cells are the basic building blocks of all living things. The human body is composed of trillions of cells. In humans, each cell normally contains 23 pairs of chromosomes for a total of 46. 22 of these pairs look the same in both males and females. The 23rd pair, the sex chromosomes, differ between males and females. Females have two copies of the X chromosome. They're XX. While males have one X and one Y, XY. And every cell in a male body is XY and every cell in a female body is XX. That makes us different. that's, That's the basic biology. Number two, bodies. Bodies. I wish I could play the movie clip of Kindergarten Cop when Arnold Schwarzenegger is asked or this little kid raises his hand and stands up and says, uh, you know, he just proclaims boys have this and girls have this. I won't say the whole thing, but he gets it right. The bodies are different. It's obvious. It's obvious. Bodies are different. God made our bodies different. Men and women have different reproductive organs. Women have a uterus. Men don't. Women can get pregnant and have babies. Men cannot. Men have more testosterone. Women have more estrogen. One medical article states the differences between the sexes in body composition are well known. Males typically have proportionately more muscle mass, more bone mass, and lower percentage of body fat than women. God made us different. He made us to be able to become one flesh. To become one. And then we fit together that way. Men and men don't fit that way. Women and women don't fit that way. It's just obvious to people who aren't ignorant and foolish. But the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They love foolishness and sin rather than what's very clear. Just naturally. And so biology, bodies, and Bible. Bible. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. We've already read it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He made men and women different so that they could come together as one and make babies and multiply. And so God is clear on this. Should Christians use preferred pronouns? 
Should Christians use preferred pronouns? No. (laughs) No, you shouldn't. Don't lie to people. Christians don't lie to people. Christians tell the truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh unto the Father except through me. We tell the truth. We must tell the truth in love. We cannot lie to people about who they truly are according to God. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 5.11, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 1 Corinthians 13.6, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Proverbs 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Uh, Some of you saw the uh, testimony of Laura Beth Perry, and, and she was born a woman and she wanted to become a man and she had all this surgery and she told her parents to call her this male name and she wanted her parents to use him and and he and and her parents refused to do it they refused to do it and she was so angry why won't you accept me for who i am why don't you love me why don't you care about me she was so angry but they would not do it and later on she got saved she got born again she began to live for jesus and she remembers that she remembers how penetrating that was for her, that her parents would not budge on her true reality. And every time they didn't, it reminded her of who she truly is. And so we speak the truth in love. We tell people the truth in love. All people are made in God's image. Marriage is only between one man and one woman. Homosexuality and transgenderism are sinful. We're all sinners and we should love sinners. And Jesus came to save sinners. Number six, intersex. Intersex. I'm going to cover this real, real briefly. There are people who are born with deformities. This is not a third gender. The, the, the people who hate Jesus and hate the Bible, they want to hold intersex people who are born uh, with, with genital uh, deformities that aren't clearly either male or female. They'll say, oh, see, see, that's a, that's a, that's a third gender. See, there it is. No, no, no. <laughs> They're born with deformities like people who are born without arms and legs. It's not a third gender. It's a product of the fall of the world into sin. That's what that is. What should we say to Christians who were born with an intersex body? Remind them that they were made in God's image. Agree with God that His creation is male and female and it's just and good and right. Let God's revelation shine in full light on their situation. Generally, those with a Y chromosome should be treated as male. The church is their family and they have children through evangelism and discipleship. Remind them of who they are in Christ and remind them that their bodies will be redeemed and glorified someday. Treat them how you would treat anyone else who's born with a disability. They can't walk. Like Nick Vichuchik, he was born without arms and legs and now he preaches all over the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. He hops around, he makes jokes about himself. What's his hope? His hope is one day you'll be given a new body. One day you'll have legs. One day you'll have arms. And your body groans just like creation in hopes of the redemption of the sons of God. It's a product of the fall. Of sin. But we don't use that to justify other sin. All people are made in God's image. Marriage is only between one man and one woman. Homosexuality and transgender are sinful. We're all sinners and we should love sinners. And Jesus came to save sinners. Number seven, identity and sanctification. 
identity and sanctification. I'm going to cover the last two together and sexual sin in the gospel. Uh, identity and sanctification and sexual sin and uh, the gospel. Beloved, the bottom line is we have to find our identity in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and died and rose and uh, ascended to heaven uh, to save us from our sins and change us, to change us. And uh, in, in all of our sinful desires, in all of our sinful tendencies, in all of our sinful orientations, Jesus came to call us to repent and trust in Him, be forgiven of all of those sins, and then the Spirit of God comes and indwells us and begins to more and more make us more like Christ. And our primary identity is that we're in Christ. We are in Christ. We're the temple of God. Uh, we, we know Him and He knows us and He's at work in us to change us and conform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And so sexual sin should not define us. We don't call ourselves gay this or gay that. We don't call ourselves, I'm an adulterous Christian. I'm a fornicating Christian. I'm a lying Christian. We don't go along with, 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 with the 12-step program where they have everybody say, hello, my name's Joseph and I'm an alcoholic. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. If, if you go to those meetings, don't do that. My name's Joseph and I'm a saved sinner by grace, a child of the King, a daughter of the Lord. I'm forgiven. I'm in Christ. I'm, I'm predestined before the foundation of the Lord. I'm loved. I'm sung over uh, by the King of heaven. The King of glory is my Father. He owns the whole world. That's who I am. <laughs> Don't buy into that stuff at the 12-step program. Your primary identity is not your sin. It's who you are in Christ. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart for God. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And that happens through the Gospel. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, 12-16, I, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointed me to His service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me, overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in me for eternal life. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. We, we, we can't speak to our friends who are homosexual and transgender with any kind of uh, pharisaical, uh, judgmental, unloving attitude. We, we come to them knowing I deserve hell. Pastor Joseph deserves hell. That's all he deserves. He doesn't deserve anything good in this life. <laughs> and God had mercy on me. The chief of sinners. And so I come to you as the chief of sinners and plead with you. This is not God's way. God's word says this. Please repent. Please come to Jesus. He died for sinners. If you repent and believe, He'll save you. We come with humility. We come with brokenness. We come realizing that we are sinful and saved by grace. We want to be like the publican who beat his breast and wouldn't even look up to heaven and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Yeah. 
We don't want to be we don't want to be like the Pharisee. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I I'm not homosexual. I've never had a homosexual thought. I'm not transgender. I've never done that. Oh, these bad people. No, no. God will send them to hell just as quick as the homosexual. God, Jesus got most angry with who? He, he didn't get most angry with the woman who was a sinner that washed his feet with her hair in tears. He got most angry with the religious Pharisees, right, who looked down on others. And we don't want to be them. That's why I put in the, the statement, we're all sinners. We need Jesus. All people are made in God's image. Marriage is only between one man and one woman. Homosexuality and transgenderism are sinful. We're all sinners and we should love sinners and Jesus came to save sinners. And beloved, that's the bottom line, isn't it? Jesus came to save sinners. He loves homosexuals. He loves transgender people. I wonder all the people that you see in the news that you may post about or write about it could be President Biden. Some of you are angry at him. Do you ever pray that he be saved? Do you spend more time fuming and angry about people? Or do you pray that he would be saved? People are angry about Trump and who he is. Do you ever pray that he would be saved? Do you spend more time praying and in tears over some of these people that are waving the rainbow flags and and transgender? Do you weep over their soul and pray for them to be saved? Or is it just always anger, belittling, name-calling? May God break our hearts for them. We love them. We, 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 We want them to be saved. I would encourage you to, if you watch the news, use it as a time of prayer. When you see things that are just so outlandish, and there are so many things, let it move you to prayer. When you see things on social media that that anger you, let it move you to prayer for people to be saved. Because Jesus saves. Wouldn't it be great to see revival happen? To see revival happen. To see Trump and Biden and everybody else get saved. To bow the knee to King Jesus and call for a national day of repentance. Woo, wouldn't that be awesome? Pray for that. That's tiny business for God. Jesus is the perfect man. As David Mathis wrote, he's a man because he's the head. He's the man because he's the husband. He was a man because he's the teacher. He's a warrior. He's a rescuer. And he never sinned sexually in thought, word, deed, or feeling. He never married here on earth. But he will marry. (laughs) He died and rose again to win for himself a bride. The church. Whom he will come back for and marry. And we cry out, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Christ Jesus, male and female main. Two genders only He's displayed. In His image, don't degrade to worldly standards they've betrayed and turn from God to whom we've prayed. One man, one woman, marriage stayed. Sexual perversion slayed. LGBTQ will fade, cast into hell where debts are paid. But now, there's hope for all who stray. Repent and trust in Christ our aid. He died and rose. What love portrayed. All our debts from hell, He paid. 
We are washed and cleansed, remade, all because our Christ obeyed. And now His Spirit will invade. So we trust in Him, be not afraid, for Christ is all our hope and stay. Father, we thank You for the Gospel. We thank You for Jesus, whose Word is so clear on these matters. Father, we thank You that You have taught us very clearly that all of us are made in Your image. Even people we don't like, even our enemies are made in Your image and we're to love them. Help us love them with honor and dignity. Lord, we thank You for teaching us that marriage is only between one man and one woman and help us to be faithful in that, God. Help our marriages that all need to grow and be pictures of Christ in the church. Father, we thank You that Your Word so clearly shows us that homosexuality and transgenderism are sinful. Lord, help us not stray from Your truth even if we suffer for it. And help us speak to people who differ with us in love and kindness and humility and truthfully. Lord, remind us that we're all sinners. God, keep us humble. But Lord, we pray You would help us love the sinners around us. Give us opportunities to speak to LGBTQIA neighbors and tell them the truth about Jesus. Bring them to our church that we might love them and point them to Christ. And Lord, we praise You that Jesus came to save sinners. Lord, we have been unfaithful in manifold ways. But we praise You that You've been faithful. And we pray we would grow in faithfulness to live more and more for Your glory with our sexual lives, Lord, with how we interact with the culture, how we do evangelism, and how we point to Christ. Help us, Father, for Jesus' sake. Amen.